And this is a monumentous day, ladies and gentlemen, because we have Mark and Ash on the podcast with us now, and soon we will have Drew and Lindsay on the podcast with us. So this is the first time we're all actually going to be on a call, and it's amazing. So Mark and Ash, thank you for being here uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for Um, having me. Very excited. Yes, I am so pumped, and pumped to talk about... uh, a new Star Wars movie. It is so weird that we have a new Star Wars movie already. I don't feel like I've digested The Last Jedi enough, and it kind of pains me. I know, right? I feel like yeah. I feel like we're jumping in from like months long of discussion into something else, but I still haven't completely let go of the other thing yet. Like, I still want to talk about The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, but... that and Rebels. Like, I have yeah, Rebels exactly. wallpaper on my phone, and I'm like, I want to still talk about Rebels, people. <laughs> this is. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be over Rebels, but I'm definitely not over Rebels right now. Yeah, no, I'm very much so. Um, so we're, we're very spoiled. It's very a good spoiled. time right? to be a Star Wars fan. It really oh, is. Yeah. I. Uh, I mean, we just got an amazing book, Last Shot. It's a good time to be a Han Solo fan, too. Yeah. Lots, well, of, lots of Han content. <laughs> yeah, and Mark, if you didn't know, Ash, is her, her favorite character is Han Solo, so... She's digging all this this stuff. And, you know, I grew up playing Han Solo. Like, I never wanted to be Luke Skywalker. I always wanted to be Han Solo because he was the one who just seemed cool, and I wasn't. So <laughs> all this Han stuff is pretty, <laughs> pretty great for me. Even though I wasn't a, the biggest fan of Last Shot, like, I really liked his characterization in the book um, and in this movie. So, I mean, let's not even bury the lead. Full spoilers, everybody. Full spoilers. This is your final warning because we're going to talk about all of it. And... I'm going to be selfish since um, I'm, I guess, hosting this thing. And we're going to talk about Maul first because, oh, my God. (laughs) Go straight to it, huh? You know, my little prequel's heart is really happy right now. And I said it on the instant reaction uh, that I did with my girlfriend, Brooke. um, That'll be out at the same time that this episode is out. That my jaw was on the floor for a solid three minutes. I... There was a part of me that just couldn't believe it because I was I was I knew beforehand I knew that Maul was in the movie because I I kind of intent I didn't intentionally spoil myself but I wasn't being super careful so it got it's it got slipped to me that that Maul was in the movie so I was like but there was a this small thing in the back of my mind that was like there's no way Maul's in this movie and then I heard Sam Witwer's voice and I was like oh my god Maul is in this movie and I was just losing my mind and I I had to like sit there and process it for like a solid five minutes and just be like wait maul's in a movie again it's he's not just in an animated series like they're they, they're putting him in like a, a real deal movie real like real cameo i guess he's been the leader of a crime syndicate for this this whole time and it was it was amazing it was like okay we're, we're finally acknowledging the prequels something that that i mean they've done in the the the, the books and stuff but from the movies since the disney since disney bought everything they haven't really acknowledged the prequels very much but this was like this, I don't know. It was just amazing. My prequel loving heart was soaring. It was great. <laughs> Mark, what did you think yeah, about it? The, there were two moments that I audibly gasped 
or reacted. And we'll talk about the the first one a little later, but this was the second one. Um, I And it, what, what's so strange about it is that everyone around me, nobody around me seemed to really get it. Like people around me were not reacting. And I, was, I felt very alone. I was like, I was kind of looking around from side to side, like, what am I seeing? And it actually, because I was processing it in the moment, I actually missed a lot of the dialogue because I was just kind of like, oh my God, this is mall, this is mall. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I really admire the, the sort of the gutsiness of it, of just to go there and say, we're not gonna, we're not gonna explain this. We're just, you know, for those of you that have been keeping up, here's this character that you know is still alive and all the rest of you, I guess you'll just have to go and look it up on Wikipedia or something else, but. That was the only annoying thing about this cameo was having to explain it to all of my friends after the fact. <clears throat> like, how is Maul still alive, you know? But it was great, I loved it. It, <laughs> it was funny, there was somebody in one of the seats behind me just went, oh, F, it's Maul. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so people are digging this, I guess. And it was really, it was awesome because it was kind of validation that rebels and clone wars are stories that really matter not just the fact that the prequels really matter but that rebels and clone wars are like a thing and there's not a movie section of the star wars universe and a book section of the star wars universe and a tv show section and a comic section you know and it's all one thing this really was kind of the biggest statement they've made to date that all of this stuff is one thing i mean we had saw guerrera but you honestly like Saw Gerrera could have been anybody and so yeah you know this mall and, and Saw, Saw Gerrera wasn't an integral part of the Clone Wars story or anything like that it's not like they put Ahsoka in a movie or anything like that this was more of like hey all these people who've been watching this cartoon show for the past lord knows how many years I can't even remember he, here's a little payoff for you and and if you don't understand what's going on I guess look it up but for the people who do here's here's a little something for you you know and I I had my initial kind of reaction to it when I heard about it was I because I didn't know how they were going to integrate it into the story was just like, really, Maul again? Like, is that what I thought we kind of got some closure with Maul and Twin Sons and all this stuff. But when I saw what he was actually doing in the story and how he's like leading this crime syndicate, I think it makes perfect sense. Think about it the more I, I enjoy that part of it and it doesn't really bother me so much anymore. But no, I was I was totally digging it and I was kind of awestruck you know the the whole time he was on screen but immediately i started analyzing his face because ironically enough ray park is probably in houston right now at the uh, houston comic palooza and i'm so mad that i'm not able to go but because of that and i was trying to figure out like how much tickets were and when he was going to be here i've seen ray park's face a lot over the past couple days trying to figure out if i could get there and so like i was able to tell really quickly like that's ray park that's Sam yeah. Witwer's voice. Like, th that's the first time that Maul and Maul have been Maul, and it's amazing. And I just yeah, yeah, it was, I couldn't it was, get over it. It was a, it was a nice melding of of the two, the the movies and and the and the animated to have to bring those two two people who brought that character to life, bring them together like that. Um, I had a, I have still have a few issues with Maul being used in the film. Um, they're just kind of nitpicky things. Uh, it, it's really more about uh, just feeling like because when he was when he was brought into the scene, I was fully expecting there to be some follow up in the film. Like I, I expected 
the story to maybe end with some involvement with him other than just a cameo. And I think I was disappointed that it, that his appearance really just amounted to sort of an, a big Easter egg cameo and nothing else. Um, and it's sort of, a, if they're setting it up to, to possibly have a follow-up uh, a sequel or a movie, then I would have less issues with it. But I just don't know that that's a certainty. Um, but beyond that, I very very much like the fact that, that like Brandon, you said that they're bringing, they're sort of bridging the animated series with the films. There's no longer that barrier of we'll just tell these kinds of stories in animation and it won't ever cross over into the films. This was, this was a big gesture on their part. And I appreciated that. I think the choice to make the voice Sam Witwer was really great because they didn't have to do that. They could have just used Ray Park, but the fact that they use Sam Witwer, who I think, I mean, he's played more mall than, Ray Park has and I think he's more he's been he's done more of the things integral to Maul's character so when I heard his voice I was just blown away because I was not expecting it at all um and it was it was just it was it was like you guys were saying it's a it was a really nice bridge uh between the animated universe and the the cinematic universe it's that the, yes this is Maul but it's also the guy who played him in the cartoon and the guy who played him in the movie kind of working together to create this link and I just thought yeah it was it was cool it was really cool there's really nothing else I can say <laughs> It really was, yeah, it, and the the thing for me that more than anything that it made me want is I want to know, like, stories with Maul during this time. Like, I want a series of crime syndicate books now, which this is totally not – it's not the kind of thing that I'm into. I don't care about the crime syndicates. They're, they're kind of there, you know, and, and they're good foils sometimes. But now, like, the episodes with Maul taking over the crime syndicates in – the Clone Wars are some of the best non possibly the best non-Ahsoka stuff in the Clone Wars. Yeah, I agree. Lindsay, are you with us? I am. How are you guys? I am solid. Hello. Uh, hey, how you doing? You're here with me and Mark and Ash. So, and oh, we were hey, just everyone. We were just talking about Maul. Uh, we're, we're already full spoilers. So what did you think about Maul? Oh, I came in at just the right time. Then. Well, you, I, you had to know I was going to start with that. I should have. I should know by now. I absolutely loved it. And, yeah, I don't know if I'm repeating any of what you guys have said, but I love it for a variety of reasons. One, it was such a surprise, and I was so taken aback. And then after a couple more viewings, I was like, I shouldn't have been surprised by that at all. They alluded it to it so many times. And with the what would have been the ending of Clone Wars and what happened in Ahsoka, it seems like it should have been so obvious. But I was still just so taken aback. And I love when I can be really genuinely surprised in a movie theater. So I loved it for that reason. But mostly I just loved it for the other doors that it opens up and what it could possibly mean for stories going forward. Yeah. I, uh, when I was watching it and it was going by his feet, I had thought the whole movie, like it was either going to be Jabba or they were going to create some new crime boss that was going to be mysterious. And then they would, you know, play that out somewhere else. And, and then they started to go near his boots and I was like, okay, so they're creating mystery. So they're going to tell us who this person is but okay he's wearing black is it the emperor that those aren't vader's boots what the heck is going on here and then yeah 
just completely blown away. That's pretty much what we've all said is just it's awesome and we want more mall. So um, other let, now that we've done that, let's do like just general impressions. I'm calm now. I can talk like a civilized human <laughs> being. So, uh, Lindsay, we've been talking for a while. What were your you're probably on viewing 15 or 16 by now. So what are your impressions <laughs> of the movie? <laughs> I took it slow. I took it slow yesterday. So I've only seen it four times so far. Which, as as you guys know, for me, the movie's been out for what forty eight hours now. So for only four times, that's actually pretty. pretty I mean, I saw I saw Infinity War four times within the first two days, so I can't really judge anybody. Thank you, (laughs) thank you. It's so nice to finally have some backup here. (laughs) I just I feel like a slacker. (laughs) I've seen it one time, and I'm Mark. You and I I are not true fans. I don't think we. No, I don't think we can be on this podcast anymore. Because we all know that's the measure of a fan, right there. How many times you watch it in theaters? <laughs> exactly. That's the one measure for tr- that. And if you were born in 1977, so <laughs> yeah, I guess that just leaves me out. So, Mark, I guess you're. I guess you're good. Or, or yeah, you remember 1977? I can't even yeah. say I was born in 1977. Well, yeah. I remember 1977. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll just see myself out then. Y'all have a good little talk here. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. It was good. We had a good run. All right, but overall impressions of the movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a ton of fun. And I don't know, maybe it's because I, to be honest, had lower expectations than I do for something in the main saga, especially with all of the kind of back and forth going on behind the scenes. I was excited for it as more stuff got released, but I think I still really managed my expectations. So I just went in really open-minded and ready to go. And I just had a ton of fun during the movie. You know, one of the things I think it did really well was any time a part of the story might have started to drag a little bit, they knew to switch it up. So right when Mimbin maybe started to get a little bit old, they move on with the story. Or even the Kessel Run, right when it really reached its peak they move on to a different part of the story. So I thought it kept a really great pace. It kept it really fun and entertaining. It's just not like, you know, The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi where you need to go and see it so many times to have all of these tie-ins. But it definitely accomplished what it wanted to do. It was a great time. It, I think, will bring a few more fans into the story. But it was just... It was very easily accessible. I don't think anyone really needs to sit down and know the entire Star Wars story to really enjoy this. Yeah, but also I I know there were a lot of call-outs to Legends in the Expanded Universe throughout the whole thing. Like, listening to other podcasters, I'm finding out stuff that I didn't even know was in there was in there like um there was lots of legends call outs yeah 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 so uh, Ash, uh, you're, you're kind of a more of a legends aficionado than i am so if you could speak to that like what kind of stuff was in there <laughs> legends wise and well did it, it was, work it was really just um it was really just references to very obscure things there wasn't a lot of like hardcore <laughs> legend stuff they didn't recanonize anything not that i can think of i mean i'm not i'm a legends person but i'm not a, a like a encyclopedia of legends knowledge um it, but a lot of it just the, the this kind of referencing like when lando was talking when lando was vlogging as i'll call it um he was talking about an adventure that happened in a really old book i think it, it's i think it's called the lando calrissian adventures and i recognized that and i recognized a few things they 
names of planets and alien races and things like that. That was really the stuff that I caught. And but I found myself reading a lot of these articles talking about all this this legend stuff and and not even really. I, I mean, I didn't even like hit the tip of the iceberg and the stuff that I recognize, but there's a lot in there, which is pretty great because as somebody who really loved legends and grew up with it, it was, it was kind of nice to see something and solo in and of itself is a very, I think legends esque story in the way that it's told. Um, but yeah, it was just, I don't know. It was just kind of nice to see these things. None of them are, are super important or anything like that, but it's always nice to kind of see callback to callbacks to legends and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they did that really well. The one thing that I caught that I was kind of disappointed in is when Lando was doing his little video recording. Uh, he called it the Land, uh, the Lando Calrissian Chronicles, and I was like, "Oh, they should have called it the Lando Calrissian Adventures." That would they really, really should have. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that was the one thing. So, Mark, what are what are your overall impressions, just generally speaking, about the movie? Um, like Lindsay, I, I was. I was a little ambivalent about the idea of, of uh, Han Solo standalone. And just like Lindsay, as we got closer and closer to the movie, the marketing really pulled me in. Um, and then a few days before the movie premiered, uh, some of the early reactions started to roll in. And even though I didn't read any reviews, um, you know, I paid attention to some of the reactions and the reactions were mostly positive. There were a few Eh, you know, indifferent or uh, underwhelmed responses, and that's really didn't surprise me. So uh, I kind of tempered my expectations. I thought, I look, this movie needs to just do a handful of things for me. It needs to, they need to get the the Han and Chewie relationship right, and Alden needs to be Han Solo, and I want to be interested in the new characters. And it really checked all of those boxes for me. Um, I may have had, I have a little bit of a nitpicky thing with some of the, some parts of the movie don't work for me as well as others, but Lindsay, like you said, it's, it's like the movie moves so briskly that if you are finding yourself getting, uh, lost in the story or not loving a section of the story, it moves so fast that you don't really have time to sit there and think about what it is. It's not working. You're on to the next thing and likely it's going to be something, a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I, I came away from it really just kind of loving a lot of it. And even the stuff that I don't necessarily love, it's really not that different from any other Star Wars movie. There's there's stuff I like and there's stuff I don't like in every Star Wars film. And I have yet to see a Star Wars movie that I don't walk out of finding something to appreciate about it. Um, so I, I don't know what really hardcore fans... Uh, are, are I don't really haven't really been paying attention to what the conversations are. I know some people like it, some people don't. I really hope it's not going to be as divisive as the Last Jedi was because it seems like it's the kind of movie that is accessible to people in a broader sense. It really should be more about just going in and having fun with the ride, and um, uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, that's that's how people respond to it. It's funny because like. Being on Twitter the past couple of days, I feel like there are people really trying to create a conversation over like this movie's bringing Star Wars fans back together, or this movie is going to be the final thing that tears Star Wars fans apart. Uh, I've seen a lot of things about how it might not reach its projected uh, for the first weekend, and then I'm seeing the same articles that are saying they're pro- or not the same articles, but different articles saying they're projecting a higher weekend, and so I, I just kind of have gotten over even 
caring about any of those arguments and just like if I have a good time I have a good time and if not then you know I move on and so Ash I know you had a little bit of a different uh, opinion when it came to this film so why don't you go ahead and, and tell us how you felt about it I would say I have a very different opinion when it comes to this film I I really do not like it at all um I couldn't when I walked out of it, I saw it again, or I saw it on Thursday, and I saw it again uh, yesterday, which would be Friday. I liked it a little bit more yesterday, but I honestly, when I walked out, I could not find one positive thing to say about it. Um, now, I don't know if that's because I was expecting something else. I think uh, naturally that's a part of it. Um, but I thought I thought it was boring for the first thing. I thought Alden was not a good Han Solo. I thought Donald Glover was not a good Lando. Um I didn't like what they did with Chewie, how they introduced Chewie, how they introduced their relationship for a couple of specific reasons that I, I guess I can get into later. I couldn't connect with a single one of the side characters, um, and they killed off the, the only two that I was interested in. Um, I think overall it was a pointless story, not in the sense of like it's a, it's a small stake story, um, but as far as Han's characterization goes, I don't think I know any more about Han Solo than I didn't already from the original trilogy. Um, I liked the Kessel run, and I liked Maul being in it, but that was because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I love Maul. But, yeah, I honestly, I cannot say many positive things about this movie. I really did not like it at all. So, yeah, sorry to break the chain of positivity. But, <laughs> well, no, because <laughs> well, I kinda... that's, that's That's why it's called Clashing Sabers. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, like, because I'm, I'm kind of in the middle there, so... I really enjoyed this this movie, but I also, like Ash said... It was very low stakes, and I don't feel like it added much to Han's character other than, like, filling in some things that didn't necessarily need to be filled in. The one thing that was kind of shocking to me was they talked about his dad, um, or rather, you know, like, he talked about his dad, which was, kind of took me aback, and at first I was like, did he really just say that? Like, he, but earlier in the film he said he doesn't have any people, so... I'd be interested in a in a story around that uh, relationship and kind of how it fell apart. But it was it was a really fun story. But I but I also felt like it was more of a story we would have gotten in a novel, which yeah. is both worrying and, and joy bringing for me. It was worrying because I don't want to get a ton of Star Wars movies that are like this that are super low stakes. Um, but I also like the idea that we have this chance now to have more movies told on film versus in a book um, and that, that we could have such an array of Star Wars movies that movies like this can be told and then, you know, a little bit later we can have a super high-stakes movie come out. So, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle on there. If I, right off the bat, just initial impressions, I would put it bottom two of my list. Um it it pains me to put Attack of the Clones below it because I love Attack of the Clones so much. But so those two are kind of fighting it out for that last spot. But saying that is also saying, you know, it's like one of my favorite films of all time. So it's it, it's kind of this mixed bag uh, of feelings that I have with this movie. Um, but as you, you know brought how up I the, kind of thought oh, of ahead, the Lindsay. movie, I just want to hop in because I almost felt like the Han Solo part was actually more of the side story because when I walk out, my impression isn't even so much, you know, anything about Solo or Lando. They're almost the afterthoughts for me. But instead, I saw it as really a catalyst to open up a totally different kind of story 
you know, where we can start to focus on kind of like the mob bosses and the different syndicates. And I think that Kira was honestly the most compelling character in the story the second time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I didn't care that much for her. I didn't really get what she was there for. Um, one of my friends equated her to one of um, Indiana Jones's girlfriends, where they're kind of just there to look good, and then maybe at the end they'll do something to mess up the story. Um, but after the big twist and seeing it for a few more times, I was so intrigued by her character and what motivates her that I really do think that this this story was just a very big, flashy, expensive way to open up the door to new characters and tell new stories instead of just r- focusing on someone else's origin story. And that was the thing I had the biggest problem with because I didn't want to watch the movie and, it, and watch a crime syndicate movie. I wanted to watch a story about Han Solo. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't satisfied with what they gave me in terms of Han because I thought it should have been more of a character piece for Han than anything else. And it just for me it wasn't that. I know some people will disagree, but mm. I just don't feel like I knew I know anything more about Han Solo than I didn't already know in the original trilogy. Right. Yeah, I'd have to I have to agree with with you, Ash, on that. Um, it did didn't really add anything to Han. And another thing I was a, a surprised by is that. The there's no real visible arc for him in this film, and that that surprised me because I was expecting to see him start out. Uh, you know, we know he's going to be brash, we know he's going to be cocky and arrogant. Um, I was expecting him to be maybe, and he is a little more trusting in the beginning. But I I I was really waiting for that moment in which he was truly uh, disillusioned. And, and he would become the character that we know from A New Hope. But being that this story takes place about 10 years prior to A New Hope, I guess it would, that would have been too, uh, too abrupt and a, ch- a change. I was with you, Mark. Like, it, it, he didn't really have the turn uh, of character that I expected him to have. It felt like the whole movie was leading up to that line Kira says, where I know who you really are, you're the good guy. And... It felt like an entire movie designed to just show us that Han Solo had always had a good heart, but wanted to be a rogue because he didn't trust people. Um, And I don't feel like I needed a story to tell me that. I mean, I think I needed a new hope to tell me that. I mean, the original trilogy does a pretty good job illustrating that. And I mean, a lot of people have been saying that, like, nobody asked for this and it was pointless. And I think... That doesn't like necessarily mean you're going to have a bad movie just because nobody asked for it. I mean, nobody asked for the original Star Wars, um, and yet here we are. We all are. Um, it's just I just don't feel like for a Han Solo movie, it was a very it was a very good illustration of Han's character, or like he never had he never like it was like you were saying, Mark. He never had that moment where he beca- he beca- you can kind of see in Alden Ehrenreich's performance towards the last half of the movie or not last half but the last little chunk. He's kind of morphing more into that persona. You know the the Han Solo that we meet at Mos Eisley, but he never he never fully gets there, you know, and he's never even I don't know. It was just it was weird. I think more than anything else, I'm not really sure how to articulate well, it. No, one thing that I I did kind of like is, and you may disagree with this, but I feel like even though I was looking for an arc that wasn't there, I do think that what the film did with his character is it, it underscored the Han Solo that we've been getting in a lot of the ancillary canon material, um, like Last Shot uh, and even The Force Awakens, where 
he's a character that he always seems to be sort of searching for an identity. Um, and I think that line from Kira is important because she's essentially saying, I, I kind of see through you. You're trying to be all these things, and I really know who you really are. And uh, if you think about it, he was, and in that moment, he says, no, no I'm not the good guy. I'm a, I've done bad things. And if you think about it, when he's having that moment with Leia in which she says, you're a scoundrel, he's telling her the opposite. No, I'm really a good guy. Um, but he always seems to be looking for his place and feeling a bit uncomfortable in his own skin when he's in certain situations that I find interesting. Um, that's the vulnerability in the character that I like. And so it was those parts were consistent to me, but it didn't really add anything because I already know that about Han. Yeah, I I I really liked Alden's uh, portrayal of Han. I thought he got it spot on. But yeah, Mark, you summarized it perfectly there. Like, it, it shows us stuff, but it doesn't show us anything really that we didn't have uh, in the in the original trilogy. So, one thing I did want to um, jump into because the, my favorite part of the movie was the Han and Chewie relationship. I thought they did that so well. Um, I really really like the introduction of Chewie because I was not expecting it. I know I probably should have been, but they said the beast and I rolled my eyes and was like, we're going to get another Rathtar situation where they're just creating another monster. I'm sorry. I don't, Star Wars isn't a monster movie to me. So I have not. Oh, I could not disagree more. (laughs) I know you, you, you couldn't disagree more. I love the monsters. And you, you wrote a great, great article about that. But it just—they just don't do anything for me. I don't mind them being there, but having them be these big like things that you're having a whole scene around just didn't didn't do anything for me. So I was like, great, here we go. Here's the you know required cantina scene, except with a monster. And then they gave me Chewy, and I was like, that foot went down, and I was all in. Um, and I and I really liked how they did it. Um, I I like that they had to save each other, and it wasn't just Han having to save Chewy. Lindsay, what did you think about the introduction of Han uh, and Chewie? I liked it, especially because off the top of my head, um, I could very easily be proven wrong here, but off the top of my head, this is the first time that we've actually successfully seen Han Solo talk his way out of something. So for him to have that moment with Chewie, I thought was really nice because up until then, and even every time after that, we always hear about what a smooth talk talker Han is but then he ends up just getting himself and the rest of the rebel crew in more trouble so for him to successfully talk his way out of something with Chewie and seeing that trust that Chewie immediately has for him I thought it was just really nice and it was a fun way to show it I thought we were in trouble there for a second but it's fine we're fine well we got Drew on the call now so Drew are you there can you hear us has everyone sufficiently hated on this movie or am I that late (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I think just we, me. No, yes, <laughs> it's a mixed bag. It's a very mixed bag. So we're I don't think anyone's Haunted. walking away saying this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I've actually seen some people say it's their favorite Star Wars movie, and it like, legitimately bewilders me. Oh, uh, guys, see, I, I, I do have to add this. I do have to throw this in. Now, I saw the. Uh, I was supposed to see the movie with my brother, but he ended up coming down with something, so he couldn't go. So I ended up going with my partner, who has seen every Star Wars movie, but he's not a Star Wars fan. He he he's barely like literate about anything Star Wars. <laughs> but um, he he saw the original and he loved the original, and in his opinion, 
none none of the films have ever lived up to the original. And it, that, he's just a casual movie fan. He walked out of this and said, I don't want you to say anything. I want to wait. And we walked out to, we were walking to the car. And then he said, okay, that was my favorite Star Wars movie. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I could not believe I was walking out of a Star Wars film that we had both seen for the first time. And he liked it more than I did. <laughs> so, so th- those people do exist, uh, but it, it, it surprised me as much as it, as it did you guys. So I was, Wait, let me ask you guys, Oh, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Ash, what were you saying? Oh, well, okay, trying... let me ask you guys this question. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, said, shoot. Um, Rogue One. I wasn't over the, you know, like, over the top thrilled about it. And the way I still describe my thoughts on Rogue One is it is a great war story. It's just, to me, not a Star Wars story. All right, and the Lindsay, way I would describe you're going to have to see yourself out. You're going to have to leave. <laughs> that's, that's, that's unacceptable opinions. I am going to stand by it. Because <laughs> um, the way I would describe Solo is it might not be the greatest Star Wars movie, but it's still a fun heist movie. So if you went into this movie just trying to see you know, a summer blockbuster and it wasn't hyped up as a Star Wars movie, would that have changed your opinion on it at all? I think it's a terrible heist movie as well as a bad Star Wars movie. <laughs> it was a really simple heist movie. <laughs> it was Josh like goes it, straight for the jugular on that. <laughs> fantastic. Look, it, it, it read like a children's reader. My first heist story to me. Everything I thought was predictable, even like Emphis Nest, I was like, oh, okay. I guess it was because I knew she was a woman beforehand. I didn't understand, and like I kind of like the whole thing that she was actually a rebel just made perfect sense to me. I guess nothing surprised me. I don't think the heist was that interesting, and I don't like. To me, the movie was like they do a job, they go to a, they go they go to a mob boss, they do another job, make the Kessel run, the end. That was pretty much it for me. I didn't think the heist on Kessel was particularly gripping or engaging. It was just like we got to get these things, and it was surprisingly easy to get the coaxium off of Kessel. I'm like, where where the rest of this is Kessel, which yeah. to me is an expanded universe nerd. It's not an easy place to get in or out of. So yep. I, I don't know. I I didn't. I, to answer your question, no, I think it's not a very good heist movie or action movie or any kind of movie. But yeah, it yeah, I'm gonna stop talking now. Um. <laughs> no, 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 I think I think it definitely missed a lot in terms of what it could have done with the heist. Um, it was definitely all leading to that end part with Emphis Nest and didn't want you focusing on anything else, even though it gave us so much other stuff. So Drew. Just to catch you up uh, and and get your opinions on these things. Number one, your overall impressions of the movie. Number two, Darth Maul prequels matter. And number three, Han and Chewie. Go ahead and start (laughs) with number two, um, and you can just talk about that. Okay, uh, let's see. So I watched the movie. That's about all I can remember from all of your questions. Um, I think that this is going to be in the bottom tier Star Wars movies for me. This is to Lindsay's point Rogue One is in my top three, I think. Um, This is not even coming close because I'm more in Ash's camp of this is not only not a really good Star Wars movie, it's not really a good movie in general um, to me. Now, having said that, there are a lot of parts that I really enjoyed and I thought of Brandon immediately when I saw Darth Maul, or rather when we heard Sam Witwer's voice um, cut through the hall. Like me and the two eight-year-olds on either side of me who, you know, I didn't know and didn't go with them. (laughs) We all had the equal reaction of, oh my goodness, it's Darth Maul. And my wife and the other kid's parents were like, what are you talking about? This is dumb. 
I thought it was fantastic that they t- tied it in. But then I started to have all kinds of weird questions raised in my mind, like, I thought he was in charge of Black Sun, and I didn't remember Crimson Dawn being a part of the Clone Wars. Um, then I got really confused to the timeline, because I thought this was closer to A New Hope than the Clone Wars show w- was to anything else. Then I was wondering where in the timeline he actually dies on Tatooine. So I got very, very confused at the very end of the movie when they're really wanting me to pay attention, and all I can think about is all the other cool stuff that I would rather have been watching at the time. So I liked... What was the third question? I already told you that this is this is like a 30 to 40% positive rating for me. Um, um, well, first of Han all... Han and Chewie? Yeah, but before you do that, like just to clear up the timeline a little bit... Uh, yes, please. Um, Help me. So Clone Wars happens, Maul gets control of Black Sun and a couple other smaller syndicates, and then goes to Mandalore and falls, um, and eventually Ahsoka goes and defeats him, but we ha- don't have that story yet. And so Because that's not real clear time-wise either, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, but that's closer, like, Revenge of the Sith time, like 20 or so years before A New Hope. And right. then... Uh, he loses all that, and then apparently he's now rebuilt this crime syndicate. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, this is about, Solo is about 10 years before. Uh, I, I was under the impression yes. it was 10 BBY, yeah. Okay, and then yeah. Maul dies like two or three years before uh, the Battle of Yavin. Oh, I thought yeah. it was oh, much closer close. to that. Is it closer yeah. than that? Okay. I thought it was. I thought season three of Rebels is like two BBY, and season four is like one BBY. That, that, I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, but, maybe. It, I mean, it's, uh, I think you're right. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, no, you, you're you're probably right, Ash. Um, I'm not as as good with keeping the timelines in 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 terms of the shows. For me, shows just I'm like, well, aren't they one day after the other? Like, isn't this just the next day? So, <laughs> but no, like, yeah. So, so somewhere between one and three years uh, is when Maul okay. dies. So we've so, got seven uh, years of stories that they could tell with him. Okay, so we uh, that that helps me fill in some of the gaps. But as to the best of our knowledge, we don't have any direct connection between what currently was known as Black Sun and then what was on screen as Crimson Dawn. Do we know of any connections between those two things? Black Sun is one of the five syndicates. Crimson Dawn is something I think completely different. Are they all going to be named after astrological bodies or something? Because or we because Bla- Black Sun is around in <laughs> Black Sun is around in Rebels. Sabine and Ketsu mentioned working for Black Sun, and, and, that's, and see that's like, what I thought. And it's supposed to persist long after even the classic trilogy. Like it goes on forever. In Legends, Black Sun was a, a big deal for for a really long time, but I'm not entirely sure with the new stuff. They haven't really touched on Black Sun that much. But yeah, I'm I, I was under the impression that Crimson Dawn and Black Sun were two completely different things. Okay. I, I think though. they touch on Black Sun too in Dark Disciple, if I'm not mistaken. They do. You're yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, but other than that, I can't remember any mention of Crimson Dawn before. No, but it would it would Me be either. cool no. if if we got that like if we get another show um after or in that in between time uh between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, uh which I don't know what they would do with it. But maybe like a crime show um, featuring Crimson Dawn or something like that would be pretty, pretty interesting to watch. So then, Drew, just to catch you up with where we were at, Han and Chewie, the introduction, the relationship, overall, what was your impression of that? I thought it was the clever – because you're talking about in the, the little mud pit there? Yeah. In general? I really – okay. 
I have both positive and negative things about this. I really liked br- the way they brought Chewbacca in as kind of the beast. Um, I really thought that was an interesting way to use him. I think that throwing Han in the pit and having him fight around for a while was really great. Han speaking Shrewook really oh. bothers me for some reason. and I So think agree. So agree. This is one of those things that... There, there are three or four key examples, and this is one of them that I, I think exists from the Lord and Miller work that was done before Ron Howard was brought in to kind of course correct, that I think if it had stayed in their hands would have worked so much better. They would have been able to sell that moment and sell that sequence a whole lot smoother than the rest of us go, wait a minute, what are you doing? What is happening right now in my life? And it's never used again. It, and it's not like The Last Jedi, which had a really good habit of establishing a thing and then subverting expectations later on. This is a thing that was brought in as a tool at the beginning to understand and make to build the character relationship between these two guys. And then it's completely forgotten about. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity that Lord and Miller would have actually capitalized on later on in the film. Now, having said that, Chewbacca is probably one of the top three elements of this movie. Um and if you don't really think so, there's the disconnect button somewhere on your screen, I'm sure. Because well, I'm out. Amazing. Um, whoa, uh, no, no, stick, whoa, stick around, Ash. Friends. Stick around. Okay, no, let, let's have this. Ash, why is Chewbacca not amazing? Well, I, I don't think the movie did a very good job showing off their relationship. And it was from, I, I know you guys have said how much you guys enjoyed Han and Chewie's first interaction in that mud pit. I could not stand it. Um, because... Uh, and a part of me, I will say, it's is colored by the Legends Han Solo trilogy, where I think the meeting between Han and Chewie is near perfect. I um, mean, in that meeting, they their relationship, Han does something self or selfless for Chewie. He saves Chewie when there's no gain to be had from him doing that, and he gets kicked out of the Imperial Academy, and you know, essentially left with nothing because he saves Chewie. And because of that, Chewie, uh, Chewie gives him a life debt, and that means you know they're. For as long as Han and Chewie or Chewie lives, Chewie is bound to Han for what he did because he saved his life. And in this movie, Han's Han when he's trying to get out of the mud pit with Chewie, he's not doing it because he wants to save Chewie. He's doing it because he wants to save himself. And that just did not work mm, yeah. for me very well. Um, I didn't I didn't like that at all because I think the the thing I love about Han so much is that he's so selfless, but he thinks he's so selfish. And but every moment that it's really counted, he's proven that he is selfless. When he comes back for Luke in the Death Star, in Empire when he's trying to get Leia, when he or when he goes back for Leia, uh in, in Jedi, you know, when he takes a general's commission and, and does what is essentially a suicide mission. Um and that movie just didn't show off that side of Han, I think, at all. There was that little bit at the end with uh with Emphis when he gives the coaxium to, to Emphis, but other than that, I really didn't see that. Uh, I guess he saves Lando and L three. But you know, I just I just don't think the movie did a very good job of of this this the heart of gold part of the smuggler with the heart of gold. Do you well, think that the lack of explicitly calling it a life debt colors the rest of their relationship through the the rest of the like four movies that they're in together? That's what really bothered me because they introduced they introduced the life debt again and reintroduced it into canon already. So they sh- I think they really should have put it in the movie. There should have been a conversation about like why are you still sticking around with me, Chewie? I I 
freed you and Chewie's like, I, I owe you a life day. And Han being like, well, what is a life day? You know, or something like that. And it could have been like a 30 second scene that kind of explained why Chewie is still with him by the time A New Hope rolls around, mm-hmm. which I don't think the movie really displayed at all because Chewie just wants to get back to his family and they never explain why he doesn't do that at the end of the movie and why he's still with Han and A New Hope. Maybe yeah. this, you're, you're absolutely right. That's never made very clear. Like I was kind of thinking like uh, that moment on Kessel where Han, not Han, but where Chewie is kind of like being dragged along by the other Wookiees there, and he kind of has to, has to say, "No, I'm going to stick around with these guys." If we had gotten a translation of that or subtitles to that conversation, I feel like that probably would have been a natural way to to stick that in there. But they didn't seem yeah. to go that route. They let you fill in the blanks. And he didn't they say early on Han couldn't tell if he was saying go back to his family or tribe, and Beckett's like, "Oh, what's the difference?" Um, I wonder yeah. if they were trying I to cover love- that up there. I actually like that line. I you like the one line that really like bothered me. Doesn't mean was, it wasn't cheesy. <laughs> the, it was the pretty line cheesy. That bothered me more than anything was when Han learned Chewbacca's name, and then he goes, "We're gonna have to find a nickname because I'm not gonna say that." It's literally like an extra syllable or two. Yeah, and <laughs> it just didn't. I'm like, really? Now, because in the and and I said this on my instant reaction. I regret watching the trailer because on the trailer that played like Chewbacca was saying some big long name. So Chewbacca was the short version of it, kind of like they have with Thrawn. Um, and it's like so Maradu. an unpronounceable name. And so Chewbacca is his nickname. And so it just it, it fell flat for me. The one thing uh, that were one of the things that I really liked was the crew that Beckett had in the beginning. I'm obsessed with Rio. I think they should have kept him alive, and I'm really mad. Rio was the best. He was the best yes. part of the movie. Yes, the Star uh, Wars version of Rocky of um, oh god, what's the raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy? Ro- Rocket, Rocket raccoon. There we go, Rocket. Yeah, yeah, he was Rabbit. great. Uh, and Mark, I know you were really into Vowel, uh, or Val, Vowel, Val. Vowel? <laughs> she was very memorable, as you can tell from me. Uh, what, Those so, A-E-I O's and U's, man, they just get Yeah, they, they And know. sometimes Y. And sometimes they creep that, up When on that it. Y comes in, it's great, man. It's, it's really great. It's game time. <laughs> so, Mark, why did Val work so much for you? Okay, so I mentioned earlier that I had a few issues with the movie at the at the beginning. Or I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but um, I was having trouble getting into the film in the first 30 minutes or so. And it wasn't until we meet Beckett's crew, uh, in particular the fireside chat, that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm digging, I'm digging these characters. I'm liking these characters. And these were characters that were featured in the marketing. They were plastered all over the posters. Um, I was like, okay, this is going to be like Rogue One where I'm meeting all these characters that I really like. And to have, and Val was just, you know, both she and Rio were just this, you know, these standouts, uh, even to me, even more so than than Beckett. And to have them killed off so quickly, um, it wasn't, I mean, it was subversive, sure, but it was it was subversive for all the wrong reasons. Because so needlessly as well. Absolutely. It made no sense for those characters to die off so quickly other than to be a shock or a surprise. And that feels very manipulative. It, it didn't feel organic to the story. Um, so that, you know, we were talking about top three, bottom three. That's definitely going to be my one of my bottoms is that they're just not, you know, that that did not feel like it was necessary. It was, it's it's 
it's it's almost worse that they were so well defined in the short amount of time that they had on screen because if they had been just kind of throwaway characters it just would have been a shrug and then you move on to the next thing um but i feel like the movie was was lacking uh whatever it was that they brought in those early scenes uh, that the film needed that you know in later scenes um and i guess the focus was supposed to have have Han's attention focus on more on Beckett and have Beckett's attention focus more on Han. So I can kind of see from a script writing standpoint why it was done, but don't cast Tandy Newton in a, like that and then not use her. I mean, you just cast somebody else, but it, it was just seemed like a waste to me. And Favreau, Favreau was great. It seemed like the deaths didn't mean anything to the greater story either because, you know, Enfi- and, and I can't, I cannot pronounce that. Enfys Nest? Emphasis Nest? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how you yeah. say it. I thought it was Emphasis Nest for a while, but never mind. Um, like, Emphasis Nest shows up later, and Beckett isn't, like, mad that he killed, or, or sorry, she killed his girlfriend, or anything like that. It's like, yep. they killed him off for nothing except Woody Harrelson to have a nice cinematic cry about it for a second, and then it's never addressed for the rest of the movie. Well, and he Well, he it was more than Viper Han. droids, too. Well, that too, yeah. But yeah. it was more. It was more like the one that got me was he goes and punches Han, and then five seconds later is all hunky dory with him. Yeah, and it, it just didn't feel natural. And then the the death of Rio, like, I you could have injured him where he couldn't pilot anymore, and then Han becomes the pilot, and you still keep him around. It just, yeah, Mark, like you said, it was it, it felt useless. Lindsay, what did you yeah. what did you think about it? Pretty similar. I thought that Val has potential to be an incredible character. And I hope that, you know, they give her some kind of comic book or book arc. Because there is, I get the impression, a great backstory there. But I was so upset with the way they killed her off. It just seems so unnecessary. And the story didn't really need it. But mostly, it wasn't desperate enough. I did not get the impression that we were in a desperate scenario where she had to commit the suicide that she did to complete the mission. It just didn't seem that big of a deal to me. And it also didn't seem like she tried hard enough. It was kind of like she took a few shots and then she was like, Oh yeah, I'm done. I'm just going to blow myself up. And that's it. (laughs) So (laughs) it it seemed kind of like a silly plan. A that's kind of more like plan M and she just jumped right to it. Well, and who's going to go out on a platform like that and not have a parachute or some kind of exactly. fail She Didn't like, she have, like, a grappling hook? She had to she have did, something. yeah. That's, That's how she, she got, got out of there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Like, so in Star just, Wars, don't tell more... me that was a one-time use kind of deal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars is known she blew for it. not having very well-put-together <laughs> plans if no one's remembering Return of the Jedi at the moment. Hey, Return of the <laughs> Jedi makes perfect sense. Luke had it all handled. Does it? You Does have it? a point. No. Jedi's I mean, my I favorite one, dis- but you have a point. Yeah, it is a mess. <laughs> full disclosure, too, though, I am a big um, Tandy Newton fan from Westworld. Her She's character so- on Westworld's probably my favorite. So I'm also a little jaded just because I'm like, if you're going to put her in the movie, put her in the full <laughs> two hours two. and 15 John- minutes. Yeah. Yeah. John exactly. Favreau, too. Like, John Favreau's not like a small time name or anything like that. And he was great. Rio was one of the only things I was genuinely enjoying in the first like third of the movie. And then they killed him. 
<laughs> well, and this kind of leads into our top three, bottom three, because we kind of walked around it. So let's go ahead and jump into that. Uh, let's see. Randomly picking Ash. You go first, uh, since your your top three will be interesting. So why don't you start with your top three and then do your bottom three? Okay. Um, really challenge you. Really pressure, challenge pressure, you pressure, with pressure, the, pressure. Ending the ending credits. Leave it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I liked... I'm not going to say love. I liked the Kessel Run um, for about half of the Kessel Run. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Very important Everything question. Everything except the Which big half? monster. The, the big monster is where it lost me. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it, I liked Han's plan to get out of it. Like, like, like shooting the escape pod and, and getting the monster to go into the maw. Is that what it was called? Maw? Maybe? I don't know. Um, and I liked, I liked that. I didn't like the constant cutting back between the cockpit and getting L3 in there and, and doing all that. I just don't think it was a very fluid scene. Um, oh, gosh, I, I liked Maul. That would probably be my next one. Um, and I, I, I liked Dryden Voss a bit. I'm also a huge Paul Bettany fan, so that probably has something to do with it. But Dryden Voss was very charming, and I could see why he he became he was put in the position that he is. It was. I, I liked how manipulated he or manipulating he was rather. Uh, how he was manipulating pretty much everybody as soon as they walked in the room. Um, he he was a pretty bad bad guy like in all in 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 a couple of good ways i think it kind of fell apart towards the end there but yeah that's probably my top three yeah dryden's character i didn't really feel like they fleshed out enough uh where yeah. there was a lot of weight in that end battle especially if it's the first like star wars movie without a big end scene you know, like, it, there was nothing epic at the end. It just kind of was like, okay, we did this thing. Story's over. Bye. I, was so, I shot guys, first. When they, <laughs> hey, look, yeah. guys, when I they shot end? first. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, and that. <laughs> I, I actually I, like I how they handled Beckett that. Because that could have, yeah, exactly. That could have gone way worse than it did. I was waiting yeah. for a cheesy one line. Like, yeah, you should always shoot first, kid. But they didn't do it, so I got to give them some credit for that. that yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. I was and, expecting a crack about odds too. Not one crack about odds. I got to give yep. them some credit. No, yep. but you know the in term, you know that kind of touches on the humor, which was one of the things that kind of fell flat for me. I, Han was not very funny in this movie. No, was, I think there. I think he, this one was or two lines. One or two lines. Movie. Yeah, one or two. Yeah, I think every now and then. Was L three a couple of things with L three? Yeah, L3 yeah, I, yeah. I, I laughed over L three, but but the humor in these movies has been kind of something I've struggled with. All of the new films, I, I don't feel like the humor really works for me personally. It's a little too Marvel for me, which I love Marvel, yeah. and it, be it belongs in that universe. I just don't think it translates very well. Mark, you need a Robert Downey Jr. if you're going to try that humor. You really do. You, do. Mark, do you think what are the other classic six films? Do you think the humor in either of those trilogies works better than these? No, well, they don't. <laughs> I'd say I'd say original, Empire is funnier than this. Yeah, despite, I'd say Empire because the situational humor is a lot better. Like Leia screaming, yeah. "I'm not a committee in the Minox and stuff like that. I think is pretty funny. That might just big be me, walking, big walking carpet. That's that's that my favorite line. line. <laughs> um, I like that. Prequels, Do you need me to get out and push? I love that. Yeah, it yeah, might. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the prequels were pretty humorless. I mean, there were attempts at humor, but 
uh, it, um, it wasn't so much. Excuse you, sir. There were <laughs> fart jokes in the Phantom Menace, and that was the best thing ever. That is the pinnacle uh, of humor. I have no idea what you're talking about. There's the fourth I, teacher. I found him. Said said every four year old who's ever seen Star Wars. Uh, I, I gotta you, say, Drew, when I was I graduated to fifth grade, so yeah. When I was five years old and I saw the Phantom Menace, I remember laughing. So you know, <laughs> it it worked on at least one person. <laughs> <laughs> so. Before Ash, before we jump into your bottom three, I know Lindsay, you have to go pretty soon here. So why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your top three and bottom three uh, for Solo? Yeah, I mean, my top easily Darth Maul. Well, just Maul now. One hundred percent, he was a saving grace for this movie for me. Um, and having him at the end kind of let me leave with some warm fuzzies, which I know is a weird way to describe my feelings from all, but there, (laughs) there you have it. Um, I think my number two isn't Kira herself, but it's the potential that she has to lead into other stories. Um, especially going through the visual dictionary, official guide, whatever you want to call it. It looks like they actually cut a lot of stuff from her. And as long as they do take the chance to expand on it, I think we we have a really great, intriguing, complicated character there. So her potential is really a top three for me. Um, And then, just like you, Ash, I was really impressed by Paul Bettany and just uh, the Dryden Voss character himself. I think the fact that he's a collector opens up a lot of doors for other stories to be told. But mostly just... I. I like Paul. I think he did a really good job with a pretty out of the box character. Um, Especially considering he had like two weeks to prep for it. Yeah. yeah, He essentially called Ron or texted Ron Howard and was like, can I be in the movie, please? (laughs) (laughs) Tag me in. (laughs) Lindsay, have you seen the forces of destiny they just released with Kira? No, I didn't. Yeah. It just came out. It's, it's pretty funny. It's got uh, Kira and Hondo and IG 88. It's actually a pretty good episode. Oh, that's sick. (laughs) Yeah. That's sick. Oh, I like that. I'll check that out and let you know for sure. Um, Oh, and then my honorable mention, I'm just going to give to L3. Um, You know, again, I know we talked about this a lot on Don't Burn the Sacred Text in Last um, Last Shot. But I really like the whole sentient droid thing. I think it's just one of the better themes that Star Wars has going right now. So I'm happy that they were able to sneak it into a movie so obviously. Yeah, they I I liked it. I like that a lot. So then for your bottom three, ma'am. My bottom three, the most obvious, and this one absolutely just destroys me every time I think about it, is the Lady Proxima character. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. So stupid. Can we just all agree that's absolutely grown worthy? I didn't think Horrible. anything could be grosser than Geonosians, but I was proven wrong. Yeah, it did. And the fact that they had her speaking, you know, English or basic, whatever you want to call it. I wonder, like, if I would have hated her as much if she was had subtitles. But I think I would have. She was just a crappy character. I hated her. Wait, I'm, I'm, I don't have as strong negative feelings for this character as you guys do. Why do you guys hate it so much? I think she was just gross for me personally. But so it, it was, it's the creature factor for Ash. It was just for me. Uh, it's it felt the, the top. Yeah. Over the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. I agree. Forced. I Nobody agree thought it was weird that Han and Kira were like 20-somethings and they were supposed to be kids. 
and a whole band of basically Oliver Twist style <laughs> things. Yeah, that, was that very part was the, the whole thing until you get to the chase was really weird. It just, yeah. Yeah, I was not a fan of the Oliver Twist. Little yeah, basic, Proxima is basically Fagin, but 15 feet tall. And yeah. burns in sunlight. Right. Okay. And I just kept getting distracted by the fact that she had all that jewelry and she was she lived underwater. Like, what? <laughs> and, yeah. oh, holy cow. So many it, questions. It felt like that was something that was in the Lord and Miller cut because they thought it would be funny. And then Ron Howard's like, that's one thing we don't have time to reshoot. We're just going to have to leave it there, guys. Yeah. It's going to be weird. Did anyone else spend a good portion of the time sitting there trying to figure out if it was a Ron Howard scene or a Lord and Miller scene? I think uh, I picked up a few Lord and Miller scenes. I think they're I knew definitely the, <laughs> Yeah, I knew the Clint yeah. Howard scene was definitely a Ron Howard one. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember just stopping mm-hmm. and being completely pulled out of the movie and going, oh my god, Clint Howard is in Star Wars now i guess but <laughs> that's the thing <laughs> this, this is our life now what happened oh, God. <laughs> all right so Lindsay, what else uh didn't work for you for this movie other one i know we talked a lot about was val's death um so definitely putting that one in the bottom and then my third one and this was really my issue with rogue one too for me star wars is the force and it has so much to do with the Jedi and with the Sith and balancing the Force. So to have a movie where that's taken completely out of the equation was really kind of a downer for me. You know, I know luck was a big theme in this movie, but it's just not the same as being able to openly talk about the Force. So I miss that aspect of it. Yeah, it would have been great if Rogue One had a character who said all the time, I am one with the Force <laughs> and the Force is with me. That would have been so great if they had that. Just it's to remind like you that, that it's still in the universe. And, and maybe give it's your main character like a kyber crystal necklace. <laughs> maybe that'll help. Um. I don't know. It still, was, still wasn't enough. And it's funny because I actually... Um, <laughs> the, 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 the dice, the dice are made of kyber, guys. <laughs> they're kyber <laughs> crystals. They're, they're yeah. kyber crystals inside the dice. How do you think they're so lucky? I don't know. No, for me, I have uh, Chirot's line and the forces with me literally tattooed on my arm. I look at it every single day and still it's just not enough. Still not enough. So, yeah, and it just it it was very weird watching a Star Wars movie that had near a mention of of the force. Mm. So, Lindsay, we don't want to keep you too long. So go ahead and uh, yeah, just give your plugs, give give your plugs about where everybody can find you and all that good stuff. Yeah, you guys can find me on Clashing Sabers. I am Moss Eisley Happy Hour, so definitely hit me up there. Um, or find me on Twitter, Miss Lindsay G. M.S. Lindsay G. Um, always looking to discuss Star Wars in any way, shape, or form. Or, like I always say, just put up funny stuff that my mom texts me during the day while I'm at work. <laughs> it's always good stuff. So, thanks for hopping on with us, Lindsay, and uh, we'll see you next time. That you will. I'll see you guys later. See ya. See ya. Bye. So, Ashton, jump back to you. Uh, did we get through? We got through all of your top three, right? Yes. All right. So let's let's jump to the easier section of this for you. The bottom three. Okay. My first one has got to be um, the naming of Han Solo. <laughs> oh yeah. That bothered yeah. me so much. Um, and it it wouldn't have bothered me as much if Han would have been the one to come up with it. Like he's like, yeah, I just fly solo. I, I'm Han Solo. Yeah, you know, uh, or that, something that would, like that. I don't. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked for me either. <laughs> the whole, the whole, the whole idea was so bad from the start. 
Yeah, I just, I, I hated it so much. And I remember, it, the news came out. Kathleen Kennedy said something like, oh, you find out Han Solo's real name in this movie. Or, oh, no, Bob Iger did. And then Kathleen Kennedy had to backtrack and go, no, it's not what you guys think, but it's exactly oh, what no. we thought. It was exactly like what we think. That was so, that was worse. Yeah. That was worse. Like worse, yeah. The other thing, the other thing was with, I'm trying to think. There's so much I did not like in this movie. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the next one is Kira for me. I, um, and just the overall treatment of women in this movie in general. L three I was think uh, I think was fridged. Val wasn't fridged, but she because she her, her death meant nothing. And Kira I think was just kind of there to be Han's girlfriend. I didn't find her arc particularly intriguing. They keep alluding to this dark past that she has and all of the things that she's done, but they never actually tell you what that is. And I think something that might have been this is just something that was kind of rolling around in my head after I saw the movie last night. Something that might have been interesting was she was hitting real hard on the fact that Han was a good person. And and you know they have that scene where they're in the cave closet and she's like, you know, if you knew all the things I'd done, you you wouldn't look at me the same. And I think maybe a more interesting way to get her out of the story would have been Dryden actually tells Han all the terrible things she did. And Han, being the good guy that he is, leaves on his own accord. As opposed to just, you know, Kira just calling Darth Maul over Skype and then piecing out. And it's like, sorry, Han, you know. Um, I just didn't find her exit particularly intriguing at all. I liked the stuff with Maul, but I just didn't understand... I just didn't understand her place in it. I, uh, I felt like they should have had the end with Maul be a reveal that Kira had kind of planned everything with Maul to be able to take over yeah. Crimson Dawn. Uh, I think yeah, I would have played yeah. a lot better instead of, yeah. yeah, it just felt like, okay, she's going to fly away now. Cause she's not in a new hope. Say bye. You know, and yeah. that kind of fell, fell flat for me. Hmm. Yeah. So I definitely have to say Kira's are, cause I just didn't see a, her, her point for being there other than being Han's girlfriend. And that's never a good thing for your female lead. You know, I thought, you know, Star Wars, this movie, I think in particular, one of the biggest problems I have with this, like I was saying earlier, it's just treatment of women all around. Um, especially considering all the stuff that we got. I mean, this new trilogy is pretty, le- or this new generation of Star Wars is pretty heavily led by women. We have Aiden Versio, Rey, Jyn Erso. Um, so it just felt very bizarre to me that Kira was such a nothing character for me. Um, but I know, I know some people disagree. I know a lot of people found her particularly intriguing. I just, I just didn't. Um, yeah, so that's probably my, my second one. I'm trying to think of a third one. I'm going to go with L337. I could not stand L337 in this movie. Here, um, I th- here. I thought she was annoying. Um, I like I like the element of the she wants equal rights for droids, but I think she was <laughs> a little too preachy about it. Let's do gung ho about it. I thought I just thought she was just generally annoying. So that's that's my bottom three. Yeah, I L three was super funny in Last Shot, and she was the thing I was most excited about seeing. And I I don't want to say I was disappointed. But it definitely didn't uh, didn't do everything I wanted it to do, and I felt like they killed her off way too soon. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was cool that she's part of the Falcon. It adds to that line in Empire where C three PO says that the Falcon has such a peculiar dialect and and all those things. <laughs> but there, were, I just felt like they could have done a lot more with her, and I, I felt like they killed her so early, not because it fit for the story, but because they didn't want her to become another K2SO and, you know, have just a clone of K2. And so they're like, well, I guess we can have her for a little bit, but then we get rid of her. Uh, And and the whole thing was just awkward. The one thing 
that I loved about her is when she's trying to get that uh, astromech to move out of the way and she takes the restraining bolt off and he like whistles at her and she says, I don't know, go liberate your brothers and sisters, but scoot. <laughs> that was the one moment. I don't know why that just hit me perfectly. That just got me rolling. Yeah, I, de- I definitely chuckled at that point. I chuckled a couple of times with L3, but just overall, I think the most egregious one is when Lando's like, can I get you anything? Equal rights. I just didn't think it was funny or it didn't stick. It's probably yeah. just a personal thing for me. But yeah, just overall, whole, I thought she was kind of the, annoying. The whole thing with Lando and L3 and it could happen or it would work was just, it made me groan so much. It was so uncomfortable, yeah. I don't, it was I a don't, very weird scene. I don't know what I find so weird about it because if you think about it, it, somebody was bound to have fallen in love with a droid at some point. But it just it does not sit right with me and I can't really articulate why the fact that it would probably happen and the fact that we don't need it in fiction are two like totally different things i think think there's the the real problem that i found in that is it's the same one that exists in the last jedi where they're talking to maz and maz is describing the master code breaker and she says oh yes he can do anything it's like these weird sexual innuendos that don't make sense within the context of the film and they're there to make the audience laugh but then the audience grabs onto those things and won't let them go so now the conversation isn't the fact that it was a funny joke it's now it's like hey could it really work out between a you know lando and a droid it's like that's not the intention of the line but the film isn't structured in a way that communicates that appropriately it's 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 a it's a joke that lands so flat that people take the line seriously yeah yeah and and that and then it sparked that whole pansexual thing. And I was just like, it, I don't really need to know that stuff in Star Wars. Like, it, it I have no problem with it. But it just, it, if it's not going to add to the story, then why are we I think, taking time I th- for it? I think if they would have actually committed and said that Lando was pansexual and had actual text or subtext in the movie. Yeah. That wasn't yeah, just exactly. like John Kasdan going, yeah, he's pansexual. Or, like, yeah. Or, yeah. It's it either commit or get out. Yeah, to me, it's the half-heartedness of it that kind of makes it uh, pointless. It's, they're not committing fully to it. So if don't be coy and tell us something that happened. You know, tell us something about these characters that's not on screen because then you're kind of wanting to have your cake and eating it too. And it's that, exactly. that's not really. It's, it's really like J.K. Rowling. It's pretty after, disrespectful. Yeah, it's it's J.K. Rowling after Harry Potter going. Well, Dumbledore was gay, even though there's nothing in the text really to, you know give you that idea it's like if if they would have made lando pansexual i wouldn't have cared but i'm more mad now that they did it in such kind of a weird cop-outy way you know that's not any actual representation for anybody yeah it feels like like they're trying to get that representation in there but at the same time they don't want to like ostracize the people who would be against that representation because those people are dollar signs also and it kind of that's and, and I'm not one of those people who I, I don't get into the whole debate about like, you know, they're trying to make money. Obviously, they're a company. They're trying to make money. But I agree with what you guys said. Either commit to it or or get out and just don't even touch on the subject matter uh, if you're not going to go all the way. So let's see, Drew, let's go to you next. Uh, top three, bottom three. All right. Top three. And I had to Google this one character because it, it blew me away that I get to see him on screen again. But Benthic Two Tubes. If I say that out loud, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, two tubes. <laughs> yes, okay. the guy from Rogue One. <laughs> that made my heart so darn happy to see him. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so I, I, I got to be a buzzkill for you. No, 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 no. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to keep going. It was confirmed that it's the same species, but it's not the same guy. Oh, what? come on, Star Wars. Yeah. that No, it was uh, Leland Chi. Either Leland Chi or Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter confirmed that it was... I'm pretty sure it was yeah, Leland Chi. It would have made such perfect sense because I could I totally know. see one of Enfys Nest's people joining the Partisans at some That's- point. I have like yeah. a whole page of notes about this of like the idea that this this girl is part of the rebellion, but Benthic like would become disillusioned with it and wants to do something more extreme. So he hooks up he hooks up with Saul Saw Guerrero and the partisans. And there's a whole lot more interest in that particular aspect of the story than anything else they were trying to get me to believe. So you know what, Brandon. We're going to go in there back and erase your little confirmation right there. Can you edit that out? And we're going to say, Ben Thick was a great addition because it helps tie these movies together. <laughs> I think you know, there's... Been. I think I think they missed a very good chance there. I'm, I'm going to keep, I'm going to roll with it because, you know, Pablo Hidalgo, who, what does he know? I mean, really. Do you, do you know they there's actually two of those guys, though? The oh, two, this... There's a Drio and Ben Thick two tubes. So maybe it's a Drio two tubes, which is, he's still a okay. part of it. So that, yeah, uh, that's, okay. that's a possibility. I'm willing to allow it for the context of this conversation. The second thing that I, I liked very much this is when, and okay, it's the moment when Han steps out and says, there's 30 guys in that ship right there. And I just have to give them the signal and you're surrounded. And then they all watch the Millennium Falcon soars away into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. That is a Lord and Miller sequence. That is something that w- could have filled the rest of this movie with that type of, of, of comedic humor that really lands and works. Um, and, replacing them with Ron Howard turned out to be not a really good decision in my opinion. But that one sequence is the best of the three that I think really, um, really survived the transition from Lord Miller's team into Ron Howard's team. That one, the line where Han says, where they're in the Kessel run and he says, I learned this from the best pilot I knew before, right before he died doing this exact maneuver you know that line was really good too and i feel like that was emblematic again of what lord miller wanted this movie to be and i'm very glad that while we didn't get much we got those few moments that really shined through yeah there, there were a few moments of humor that did really land quite well and it's like kind of wanting to see the original cut of Rogue One just to see how different it would be. Yeah. I would love to see the, you know, the original cut. I would cut love of... the Lord and Miller edition, even if we get just like a screenplay, screenplay production or publication yeah. or something. I'd love that because I feel like that's what this movie could have used. And, and I can't really fathom how differently the opinions must have been for them to have wanted to change directors like that. That's a a huge issue and especially since these last few nuggets that did survive were so good you know every joke that failed is because they kept the dialogue but changed the direction every joke that worked i guarantee you was they kept the kept the dialogue and kept the original direction when you changed out the director there it 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 does not you know ron howard does not direct the same way that these guys do and and it shows yeah, I no, was a I can't opportunity. disagree with you. I can't the disagree with you. last thing that I have is I really enjoyed most of the Castle Run. Um, I think that was it was 
visually really interesting. It was very different from what was established in Legends. I don't know why there was one singular Star Destroyer. This is the Maw installation where the Sun Crusher is developed, where all these different technologies come from, and it's supposed to be surrounded by Star Destroyers within the context of, like, what, two circulating black holes. They're supposed to be, like, spinning around each other, something like that. So I like the way that they changed it. I think it was good. I think it was fun. I think it was very entertaining. I have no problem with the giant space monster. I don't have any idea what it was there for. I'm sure it's symbolic of something, and I don't I care. I thought it was a pergill for, Super like, fun. two seconds. That would have been so what? cool. <laughs> you thought it was a what? Pergil. A pergill. You thought it was a what? A pergill. <laughs> the the, the space, space whale. The space, space whales from, <laughs> from Rebels. Okay. You're still behind. Clearly, I'm we... not on that season yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> what is that, Ash? Is that season two or season three? Season two, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Let no, me quick thirty second diatribe. Netflix has lost disc three in the mail somewhere, and I haven't gotten it yet. So I'm gonna have to buckle down and buy these stupid things. So Brandon, you win in the end on this yes. one particular issue. You win. That's oh. it. Oh, I-, I like that you like it enough to buy it. It's well. It's let's great. be clear. I haven't purchased it yet, but. It's on my to-do list. It's on the list and, somewhere. And you have no choice, so. <laughs> yes. If you want to see true. it, you have to buy it. Uh, I, I'm going to, I promise. Okay, so those are the, the most positive things that I had. Um, the, the least positive things I had, the, the, the one that really stood out to me just as I was watching it was the missed opportunity of celebrating the Falcon as a character. And here's what I mean by that. When we watch The Force Awakens and, you know, the line Ray shouts out, the garbage will do, the camera swoops around and you get the hero music, you get the introduction, and everybody in the audience jumps up and applauds. At least they did in my theater. It was super fun. It was a great moment to say, look who's back. And in this one, you get nothing. You get absolutely nothing. You go from them walking Mm -hmm. underneath the cockpit to they rush inside, and then it's a long shot from very far away and you just see it scamper out from the impound lot like there's no reintroduction and i think you get a chance to celebrate the falcon in its prime when it's the the sharpest looking when it's in peak condition you know this should have been like a top gear kind of like you know car porn kind of thing where they just the camera just lingers on it and you really dwell on the fact that this is the the ship in its perfect state and they're like nah we got things to do and they blast off and i was like come on guys this is not really under a tarp as well but it's, no. it's it also was in the Force Awakens, so it has this blast off moment. Like I, that's well, the difference. I kind of I kind of disagree with it. I kind of disagree, but because um, I, I, I mean, they the, the music certainly did swell when he first sees the Falcon. I mean, the music was to me was selling that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I have to go back and, and then, we'll talk about the music in just a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on my list too. So that's that's the reason I'm okay. covering it up. Well, I. I thought it was a really big missed opportunity to develop Lando as a character because the ship was impounded and my first reaction was maybe is it not Lando's ship is he getting them to help him steal a ship and they don't know it I thought that would have been really cool and then you know of course it's got the cape closet and so you know it's Lando's ship but I thought that would have been a really cool 
play is like somewhere in the middle of the Kessel Run, they realize they've stolen somebody else's somebody ship. Else's ship. No, I yeah, thought it was. I thought it was a pretty good bluff. It, it kind of fit with like the Lando of Rebels season one, where he's where something you know, is less than fantastic, and he's like, "Oh, how dare you offend me this way?" You know, I feel like it was of a piece with the rest of the character that's established in that particular part. But I, I see your point. It would have been funny if they had been like. If they had, maybe they asked Lando, it's like, hey, where's the refresher station? He's like, I don't know. This isn't my ship. Yeah, I, I, will, I will say my first reaction was that it wasn't Lando's ship either. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because huh. the way Lando was was like framing that was like, no, you have experience with these, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just got impounded. I And being like indignant about the fact that it was impounded i for a second i was like is it not lando's ship and then i remembered <laughs> uh, t- uh then i remembered some kind of like promo thing i saw with the cape closet i'm like oh yeah it's lando's ship you're yeah it dumb. totally is yeah you know yeah that could have been an interesting way they had written it yeah the the second thing that really bothered me and this is is the cinematography it just looked like garbage for so long oh oh okay oh my god <laughs> I, I don't know if this the is conversation now. oh no mark come on i really want to get your opinion on this because the way you described uh-huh. like episode three like was really interesting the article you wrote that kind of pointed out the the balances between different things and whatever was really interesting but every single sequence for the first like hour of this movie is mud and blue and brown to the point where so much of these things you can't even tell what's clearly going on when you really need to know what the heck is going on here now the war sequence i can understand that makes perfect sense and i kind of understood like when the whole lady proxima thing when they break the window and you realize that she's allergic to sun but why is the gambling sequence so dark and so impossible to see what's going on all I want to do is look in the background for Borg Gullet to show his slimy little head, and I can't see anything. I specifically went to a 2D, non-IMAX edition so that I could actually see what in the world was going on. Because the last time I saw something in 3D, my glasses don't fit right on my head because i gotta wear real glasses and it's very distracting so i wanted a clear understanding what i'm looking at the exception to my complaint here is the beach planet at the end when they finally get to a real set and it looks like they're actually somewhere and i could see what was happening i felt like that was visually more interesting but mark defend the cinematography to me because clearly i don't get it uh you may disagree with this, but I, for me, the, 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 the light in the dark, to me, was very noirish, uh, because there's a lot of this movie that feels like a noir feel, sort of a genre, um, especially the, the, the scenes in the, the Sabak game. Um, there are shots that are absolutely inspired by, by noir filmmaking. Um, the shot of Kira on the yacht as she's leaving and looking down at, on, on the, at, the, at Chewie and Han on the shore the way that she's framed mm. in that shot is yeah. just gorgeous. Um, there are some things that, that Bradford Young does with light, uh, particularly in the Kessel mine. Uh, there was one shot that just kind of took my breath away where Chewie was sort of backlit. That was just, it was something I've never seen in Star Wars before. I just could not disagree more. Really? It's all, yeah. It's all um, what good. Am, what it's am all I trying? Am I trying to describe the wrong thing then? Because like the color palette I, felt so muddy and so undefined for so much of the film. Like, what am I trying? I think that to was say? intentional. 
I think what yeah, they were trying uh, yeah. to do yeah. is make a mo- make a movie about the Star Wars underworld and show that this is the the darker, grittier side of the Star Wars universe. So it's not going to be as bright and colorful and have the beautiful planets with the gorgeous landscapes like Naboo or or any or anything like that. It was showing you here's here's the crappy mud planet, here's the crappy snow planet. <laughs> um and here's the pretty beach at the end right as Han is starting to change his ideas a little bit. You know, yeah. like like oh it's pretty God, dark too. and yeah. dreary as Han is kind of trying to figure out his way and right as he's like pretty sure he knows what he's going to do it starts But doesn't he have- but his character is defined within the first 10 minutes of trying to escape Corellia, and then he makes the concrete decision, I'm going to do everything I can to get back here. He has clarity of purpose and vision. He doesn't know how he's going to do it, but the character is clearly defined as a guy who makes up every single step as he goes, acting as if he knows what's going to happen. But he himself is never without doubt, or he's never without uh, you know, some cocksure understanding of he's going to make it out of this thing. I will agree. I will agree with you. Um, on the cinema, on the cinematography, I don't think it was inspired as it could have been. But I don't think s- cinematography in Star Wars is generally all that inspired. I think it just kind of gets the job done with like a lot of franchise movies. Uh, but I, I'm going to disagree with you there because Empire Strikes Back is like a masterclass in the use of these very techniques and dis- and kind of like and Mark's essay in Episode Three kind of opened things up to me to say, look, there's more that's going on here um, than meets. Well, I guess meets the eye is a really bad example here, but. <laughs> I mean, it wah, can wah. Be, it, yeah, but I'm pish. It can be and has been used very effectively in in certain instances. I I will absolutely agree that there are a lot of instances where it sucks, but I feel like that's a tool in the toolbox that maybe they're going in a direction that I didn't see. But I, I it was so difficult to just understand like what's happening in this world right here in this moment when I can't really see what's going on. See, I I thought it was supposed to be like, you know, it's kind of muddy at the beginning because Han is kind of a muddied character. He's trying to find his feet and then towards the end it kind of lightens up because, you know, that whole he's a good guy line. He kind of figures out what he's going to do, you know, in life basically. He's going to help the the little person even though he's going to pretend that he's doing it selfishly. And I mean, I didn't like that particular character character development for Han. Uh, I didn't feel like it was really necessary. But I think that's kind of what the the cinematography and the lighting was going for. I think cinematography is a hundred percent subjective as well, and stuff that you like and stuff that yeah. you don't, or stuff that you notice and things that you don't. It is important for sure. It's important in all filmmaking. I've never been that you know hung up on it because I've always been a fan of characters over you know what whatever else is going on in a movie. Um. But no, I, I definitely can see both or I, I, all of your guys' points about this. Um, so it's all really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's definitely subjective, and I mean, it's Star Wars, so it's all subjective. It's fiction, so you know. <laughs> Wait, uh, now, yeah, Drew, know. Drew, did you give your did you give your third third word? Well, the third one I have, and I have I have to go back and do some research in this because I'm 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 a little bit. This is really very petty of me, but. I'm already sick and tired of the John Williams impersonation um, being done within the musical <laughs> scores um, in these two non-episodic films. 
I am so sick of people trying to do their best John Williams impression. I but, love Michael Giacchino. But doesn't every composer for every uh, movie try to do their best John Williams impression? Yeah. Yes, and that's also a problem. <laughs> uh, my point is this. If you're going to do something different, if you're going to break the mold and say we're not going to do the episodic storyline because that's a Skywalker saga and we're going to take, we're going to keep that over here, these anthology films are opportunities for us to really explore and do something different within the same context of the universe, play by the same rules – but in a different way. You've got to dissolve yourself of this notion that the John, John Williams score is inseparable from the Star Wars movies. Absolutely. So if you're going to go in a different direction, you have got to go away from that. It has got to be step one. And that is a problem when it's so reliant to these, these offshoot films which have an opportunity to really tell a different story. There is no person in human history who thinks Star Wars would be any good if John Williams wasn't a part of it. So if you want to do something different you have to start with the music now again i haven't listened to the soundtrack in isolation yet only seen what was on the screen and only listened to it there but we talked about this when the trailer was released when the trailer was released and it had these heavy distorted guitars and it really gave us this idea of something like a like a western set with modern tools all of us on that episode brandon we're really excited about the opportunity and even in the article we posted on the website everybody mentioned how this was interesting and new and different and we hope that it continued into this into the actual film and zero percent of it survived that's an issue to me i will say the trailer music was 10 times cooler than anything in the movie it really was i mean (sighs) yeah i I was well mark is going to murder us (laughs) I think overall the soundtrack soundtrack for Rogue One was worse than this, but I don't think this was a particularly inspired soundtrack, not soundtrack score. uh, You're very wrong on that, Ash. You're very wrong. I love the Rogue One One score. So everything about that movie is just perfect. So just Rogue One's my number two. I love Rogue One, but. (laughs) All right, Mark, before you explode, go ahead. Oh, my God. Where do Let's I do, start? Do your, do your top three, <laughs> bottom three, tell Drew why he was wrong. Well, I, like the, let me just defend it a little bit longer. Like The guy who did the music for that has done other amazing things. Like I'm not saying it wasn't inspired and it wasn't talented, but you can tell that his instructions were, hey, here's the John Williams motifs that we really liked. We're going to use these, and I need you to bridge the gap with some other stuff that sounds exactly like it. Well, and John Williams came either. back and did Han Solo's theme, uh, which is, if you listen to the soundtrack, it's the first one on there. And that is present, like, I would really like to see, like, a side-by-side about how many times that is used in this movie versus how many times Across the Stars is used in Attack of the Clones because it is used <laughs> a lot. And, like, Attack Attack of the Clones, basically the whole soundtrack is Across the Stars. So, which I'm not complaining, that's, like, my favorite song. But it, it says a lot that, like, it, it's kind of in that context. All right, Mark, go for it. We'll be quiet and let you actually <laughs> tell us why we're wrong. Okay, I'm going to start with my th- bottom three because I'm going to end on a positive note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Positivity smart, over here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had issues with the movie, but my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I'm the sole actor sole now for no, uh, the sole no. apologist. Mark um, Mark Solo. Uh, okay, the, that's a nice lead into my bottom three. I cannot stand the solo thing. Absolutely hated that moment. Uh, yeah, the the to me it rang hollow, very much like um, the whole Rogue One scene in Rogue One of trying to 
up with a name. Oh, it let's uh, I don't know, maybe Rogue One. It just it, <laughs> it says fell it on the banner. Flat. Might as well be good. Exactly. We're gonna say the name of the movie now. It's, it's those the are second time. The worst it, moments. At least film. it wasn't and like. At least it wasn't like okay, you're Han Solo. Boom, title card. Solo, a Star Wars story. You know. <laughs> yeah, that would have yeah, been yeah, bad. It yeah. could have been. It could have been worse. Um, yeah, we've already talked about Lady Proxima. Lady Proxima was just the worst. Um, I'm actually one of the people, one of the few people you will ever meet that actually didn't mind Borgullet. Um, it was just weird enough and creepy and very Jabba's lair kind of Jabba's palace for me. Um, this did not work for me. And mm. I, something about the something about the voice, I think the fact that the voice was not subtitled, like Lindsay was mentioning, um, that's some kind of something that bothers me in, in a lot of the Star Wars films where you get these great alien voices that are subtitled and then occasionally a, a character will speak in a very over-the-top, stereotypical voice. Just takes me out of the movie whenever that happens. Um, so that's why that character didn't work for me. Uh, I've already mentioned the uh, the Han Solo moment. Um, and I guess, yeah, the, the third one would be the, the way that the Beckett's Beckett's crew was handled um, because I really, I really was getting into the movie at that point. And even though I love the train heist, I love how it, it was filmed. I, I love the action of it. Um, the visuals were great. Um, just the way that they kind of killed off those characters and killed off L3 in kind of a, uh, an unceremonious, well, it wasn't unceremonious, but it felt like it was really just a way to get her brain on the Falcon. And that was just felt a little shoehorn. Oh. That's a good point. Um, which it's kind of a nice thing. I mean, I do like the tie in with, with uh, what we hear C-3PO say later, where he talks about the, the onboard computer's dialect. Uh, that was a nice tie in, but it, but it felt like we were trying to get to that moment. And it didn't seem like it served her character very well to have her die just for that reason. Um, so those are my bottom three. And my top three are basically going to be Drew's bottom three. <laughs> 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 We've already talked about the cinematography. I absolutely love the cinematography. I think thought this, this was a gorgeous-looking film for the reasons for it being different. Like everything that you're saying, Drew, about the music, I feel like this movie did with the cinematography. Hmm. Um, because when you say you want it, you need the music to be different. It has to stand on, out on its own. This is a movie that we've never seen this kind of grip before in a movie, in a Star Wars film. Not this kind. Uh, things are either very, very sleek and shiny and bright and colorful, or you get something kind of in between, which is what the original trilogy is. And so for me, I liked seeing the progression of how everything, the colors, the the, the lighting, everything moved from very dark and grimy to, like we were saying earlier, something much more bright uh, on the sort of the beach planet at the end. Um, how, how do you, if I just break in it, how do you feel about Rogue One in that, in that uh, direction then? Because I feel like Rogue One gave us visually appealing yet we've got images of stormtroopers covered in dirt and dust and that kind of stuff. How did you feel about Rogue yeah. One? Actually, kind of, that was one of the things that was missing a little bit for me and for Rogue One is that I don't feel like it got dirty and gritty enough. Because oh, I, I, I was under the impression that that was going to be a, just a flat out war film. And I think that's one of the reasons why there were so many reshoots is because I think Gareth Edwards probably delivered a, a movie that was far more, uh, more violent than maybe and maybe darker than they were 
they were wanting out of a Star Wars film. Um, that's just my speculation. Uh, but getting back to the the cinematography in this film, um, and this is something that, that Ash may appreciate as a leg- as a Legends person, is that Mimbon was uh, in the the book that it that it was using the, the Splinter of the Mind's Eye was supposed to be the original. Uh, sequel to Star Wars, the original yep. Star Wars, in, in case the uh, the proposed sequel that George wanted to make, uh, the studio wouldn't go for. And, and so that's this why was Splinter of the Mind's Eye is so weird. <laughs> it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah, it's, it's very bizarre. Um, it's so weird. But, but in in that book is a very foggy planet, and that was a very conscious decision to make Mimbon foggy in case you know in case it does get, it did get filmed that they could save money on the expense of the sets they could actually shoot it a certain way so i I liked that that was we saw that in this film it it was shot in a way that that things were very murky and very you know um and i also liked the just the chaos of battle the the battle scene in this film is what i thought we were going to get in rogue one um Uh, okay so and so my are you talking about like the the mud trooper scene yeah just just okay just the the chaos of that scene, just the, the explosions going around, going off everywhere. Um, just the way that, that, that scene was shot. And my, my third, uh, there are a lot of other little moments in the film that I like, but again, uh, I go back to the technical and uh, to me, the music absolutely worked. Um, I loved the soundtrack so much more than rogue one. Um, there are parts of rogue one that I like, but there's a lot of it that doesn't work for me musically and i have listened to the original soundtrack in isolation and those little moments drew that you were talking about in the trailer where they do something different with the guitars there are lots of little moments like that peppered throughout the soundtrack that i think you 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 should go back and listen to it in isolation because i think you'll pick up on that all right Um, good deal there's there's stuff that um that he does with the the theme for emphasis nest which again that's Empty's Nest is another thing that would be on my list, but um, there's just not. I have to pick three. Um, <laughs> there's actually Those a lot of like, rules. Yeah, so so I, I won't even try to cheat with honorable mention, but um, yeah, just, no, you I, could cheat. It's music, totally cool. Uh, the music just wor- wor- really works for me. So uh, I'm downloading it as we speak, and I will listen to it several times, and maybe and I hope that it changes the way I watch the film. Of course, I won't watch it again until it comes on home video, probably. <laughs> uh, so for me, like I'll start with the bottom two because the score is going to play a major role in that. Um, the the thing I liked the least in the whole movie. That was easy for me to say. Uh, the thing I liked the least in the whole movie was just how they handled the characters in general. Like the deaths of the characters seemed very contrived. Um, Enfys Nest reveal felt like it should have been weightier than it was. I honestly thought my first reaction um, a- a- was that it was Beckett and Val's daughter. Uh, was, oh, that was me my too. Reaction. I could, yeah, and so I was like, Oh, oh I didn't even think one. about that. No, I Wait. took her mask off and I was like. It's their kid. And You're saying it's like, that not was my first? It's not. No, it, the timeline wouldn't match up. Like they all yeah. acted like this was somebody they knew. I th- just presumed yeah, it was somebody they did. No, I don't. No, I, I felt like I was. Supposed I immediately to was. thought it was their daughter. I was like, oh yeah. my, oh, it's their daughter. And then I'm like, oh, I guess it's not because she's talking about her mom. It's obviously not Val. 
Like, um, yeah. This so, character is not. I do not understand this character and the way they use it in this film very much. Oh, I did not like <laughs> Ness at all. Yeah, I want. Ugh. I I like her enough where I want more stories. Uh, I like the idea that like it's a mantle that different people take, but um, yeah. Oh, like the Red Pirates Robert or whatever it's called. Yeah, kind of, okay. kind of. Uh, which, by the way, that's what I want them to do with the Boba Fett movie also. But we'll, we can talk about that another time. The monsters was the other thing. Uh, I just, they were there. The thing is, I didn't hate anything in this movie. They're just, the things that I didn't like were just kind of like, all right, they're there, you know, whatever. And then my bottom, my, my top of my bottom and my bottom of my top are the same. <laughs> and it's the score. And I say that because when I was first watching the movie... The score did absolutely nothing for me. Um, there were times w- w- I judge a score based on do I notice it in the movie. Um, if I feel it, then I liked it. I felt The Last Jedi when Luke was walking out there. I couldn't walk out humming that, but I knew the music made me feel something. The music watching this film didn't make me feel anything. Then going back and listening to the soundtrack, I really like this soundtrack. It's very Indiana Jones and adventurous. And there's a lot of things, uh, you know, Mark mentioned it was a lot deeper than than we were giving it credit for. There's kind of a thing that, that John Powell does where he has Han's theme in the front and then has a little bit of a lighter version of it in the back and certain places where he plays where there's like this front and back thing going on. And I'm not musically literate enough to explain it, but it kind of gives me the feeling of, Han's character in here he's trying to front as he's one thing but really he's you know another thing uh, he's trying to front as the rogue but really he's the good guy interesting yeah so so Drew I, I'd be interested to hear like what your opinion is on it once uh once you listen to it a little bit more and I, I'm too. gonna be interested to see like I'm gonna go back and see it at some point this weekend and I'm interested to see like how I'm gonna feel now that I know I like the music itself a little more the other one that really well, works for me that Go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Uh, yeah, I was just going to throw in that it, 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 it's interesting to me that both of you guys have that opinion of the of the soundtrack, and you 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 experienced it in the movie first, and then went in you know and then had a, a different opinion after hearing the soundtrack. Mine was reverse. I actually listened to the soundtrack first before I saw the film, so actually I got to know the music by itself in isolation before I ever saw the film. Episode one ruined me of that habit. I cannot yeah. take the chance. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, this this is the first one that I've done that with for a very long time. I, I logged on to iTunes in the morning to see if it was out, and then it wasn't, and I didn't log back on until we got out of, out of the movie. So I picked. It, I saw. I was at Target like the day I watched the film, and earlier in the day, and I I saw the physical media in the store, and I thought, oh, that's cute. And I looked at the back of it, and I, I the first thing I saw was that there's no. Um, like opening fanfare kind of thing. I said, Oh, I should stop looking at this right now. It's going to ruin the rest of the film for me. It's just too yeah. dangerous. Can't look at the, can't look at the title tracks. You're going to realize Qui-Gon's funeral is right there. And that's going to kill things for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, I made so that much. mistake with rebels and they, there's a track name for, uh, Oh my gosh. Don't Jedi say it. Knight. If it doesn't happen yet in season three or something. Yeah. There's a track name for something that <laughs> I'm sorry. I almost spoiled it, but I didn't. There's Ooh. something that happens in the track name is very obvious as to something what happens, but Kanan uh, something murders Ezra at dot MP3. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Uh, so my second, my number two was uh, Han and Chewie. I thought the whole thing with them just worked. Um, I 
I liked the introduction. I liked the the development of it. I'm kind of in a weird place with the fact that they didn't mention the life debt um, because, especially when we have a whole book called Life Debt, <laughs> it, it's very weird. And yeah. I'm reading that book right now, so I was I was oh, in a weird so place. Sorry for you. You know, you need to listen to the episode we're going to do on uh, on that trilogy. I'm it's actually, really excited I love for that when you guys get, get I, to that. I love all the Aftermath books. I know just I'm in the minority there. No. no, just a little preview. Ash. I'm I'm rereading them. We're going to do all of the, the whole trilogy together. And going in knowing what it is with really n- knowing that it's not really a, a sequel to Return of the Jedi like it was kind of played up. I really like those books. Anyways, I'm not going to give Drew a chance to talk about that. Speaking of stories outside of the movies, that was my other thing that I really liked about this movie is I felt like it opened up the galaxy a lot. Uh, there's a lot of potential for other stories to be told uh, with Kira, with Emphis Nest, with these different crime syndicates. Uh, it, it just there's some really compelling possibility outside of this movie and what this movie offered that I'm really looking forward to. And I hope. I hope it's not a Rogue One situation where they give us all these great characters and then each of them gets like a book and then they're done. Like we're never <laughs> going to see Chirrut and Baze again, but they were amazing. And, you know, there were characters in here that I really, really liked. Uh, I'd love stories with those other Wookiees. I would love more stories with Beckett's crew, you know, running heists and getting well, more real. Beckett is, Beckett is getting a one-shot comic, so maybe that'll be in there. Uh, that would yeah. be good. That'd oh, be good. cool. So overall, I... I really, really, really like this movie. Uh, I know we've kind of like critiqued it a lot because we're Star Wars fans and that's what we do. But I have to say, I really liked this movie. Um, let's let's do a quick before we close a quick ranking. Well, not in terms of other Star Wars movies, but just like on a on a scale of one to five. Let's say uh, we can do it like we can do it like we do on uh, Don't Burn the Sacred Text. We'll do the Lothcats. One to five Lothcats. What do you give uh, this movie, Drew? Do you even know what Lothcats are? Uh, no. They're they're you, you, the kiddies and rebels. They're, yeah, they're, <laughs> he should have seen great. Lothcats yet already. If he's yeah. going to season two, it's entirely possible I've seen it and just ignored it. <laughs> they're they're the little they're the little cat things that uh, are always around Ezra. Does Anyways, it, yeah, he follows yeah. one through a field. And yeah, it's like yeah, calling yes. to him. It looks like the Cheshire cat. Sort of, but Little not bit. as cool. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've got to you've got to pay attention to the animals. You you ignore the animals at your own peril, Drew. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Um. <laughs> I gotta pay attention to the cats and the crystal foxes and the things. But you guys don't like the giant space monster. I don't understand. You guys are all in on the animals, but the giant space monster uh, is suddenly off I the like table. Like the crystal okay. foxes are like cute. And lost cats are cute. Like I can oh. hug a crystal fox. So yeah. if it's so if it's cute, it deserves anywhere. to live. Exactly. But if it's ugly, I, it deserves to die a terrible, painful, I own, fiery death. I own death. like eight porgs. I'm getting a porg tattoo next week. Like yeah, I'm I'm with Ash on this one. I just got one of those ten uh, inch pops of a porg for my birthday. Porgs uh, are and- murderous, cannibalistic demons with wings, and they're amazing, and I love them. Yes, if I, porgs if are I can, life. My, my rule with Star Wars is, is if I can hug it, then it's cool with me. <laughs> That'll get you into trouble. <laughs> so if we're, if, anyways, yeah. if we're Drew, talking about give your ranking, ranking, yeah, this it, it, we're doing this one out of five? What an odd thing. Um, okay. 
uh, two, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think that the way I can make this movie work, like the way I can appreciate what it's trying to do, is if I imagine that Han Solo, as an old man, is been asked by his son, Ben, how did you and Uncle Lando meet? And he retells the story, and it's this movie. Because the Han Solo we get in this film is kind of like the best possible version of the character, and it's probably not at all lines up with what really happened. Because there's such a difference to me, I feel like, in this one, the way it ends with where Han is as the character and where we pick him up um, in the bar on Tatooine, that it just doesn't even feel like the same person to me. Um, It's not the worst Star Wars movie in the galaxy, but it's not anywhere close to my top favorites, that's for sure. All right, Ash, what about you? It's a ringing endorsement, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Go I'd see give it the a, movie. I, I'd give it a I one. I, I really had a hard time finding anything that I legitimately enjoyed in this movie. Other than, other than Maul, and I don't think that counts, because I don't know if a cameo is any indication on how good a movie actually is. Yeah, I just really, I just really didn't enjoy this movie hardly at all. So, yeah, probably a one. Wow. Are you? Do you think Gets you're gonna it. buy it once it comes out on digital or Blu-ray? Just I like will just. I will just to round out my Star Wars yeah. Blu-rays. You know, like I, I probably couldn't deal with not having one of the movies. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'll probably I'll probably watch it again. But I'm I'm not gonna watch it as much as I watch the other ones. I think, like not even close. But yeah, I just really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> All right, so we'll end on on the most positive. So I'll go next. That way, Mark can finish us <laughs> off. So we don't just well, look like a given, bunch of. I haven't given my rating either. Yet. I know like I'm going to two go and a half. What are you, you talking about? Uh, I give it. I give it a, a a three. I think it was a solid movie. I had a good time watching it. It was nowhere near the level of how much I enjoyed Last Jedi or Rogue One or The Force Awakens. Uh, but it definitely made me excited that we're getting more Star Wars movies. I'm fine with the fact that I'm. This is the first time I walked out of a Star Wars movie and didn't say that was my favorite Star Wars movie. And it was a really weird feeling for me. So, a, a solid three. So, Mark, Round you're up. Uh, okay, so I guess I would give it a 3.75 loath cats. Um, <laughs> so you're taking three-fourths of the cat. Three-fourths of the cat, yeah. Okay. Um, you guys think I'm the sick one. That Just was an image I didn't need in my head, but thanks, guys. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, there was a lot that I liked about this film. Um, there's some parts that I absolutely loved. Um, I had a blast with it. I, I had a good time. I was entertained. It uh, it accomplished what I wanted it to accomplish. And the things that I had issues with were, for me, not detrimental to my overall enjoyment of the film. Um, having said that, uh, I I do wonder if the things that I didn't enjoy about it, or the the fact that it took me a while to get into the film, has anything to do with maybe my preconceptions going into it? Because uh, my partner's reaction is somebody who's not living in this this franchise twenty four seven like I am was very eye opening, and I'm curious to know how just the general public is is will react to this movie like people I, I think I saw a, uh, a report that uh, it's getting a cinema score of a minus and cinema score is a pretty accurate 
uh, way to judge like what audiences are thinking because people are asked what their opinion is as they walk out of the theater. Wait, you mean as, Rotten Tomatoes isn't the best thing on the internet? I know. <laughs> it's, it's shocking. This is shocking. It's shocking. I thought we were only supposed to see movies based on their Rotten Tomato score. This is a whole new world is opening up. Right. And another thing that's, that's shocking is that you can actually, when you vote on the internet, you can cheat. It's, it's shocking. It really <gasps> is shocking. Whoa. So we're like, we could make bots to tell everybody how great Star Wars is or how terrible it is. It's insidious. Oh. Is that not what our Twitter accounts are, though? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. It's Darth Sidious. Hey, oh. I'm essentially I'm a bot on the internet that's just like, Star Wars is really good, guys. That's yeah. pretty much all my Twitter account is. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. That's, that sums Ash and I up for sure. And then so Mark anyway, comes so in the- with his great insight and you know long tweets <laughs> explaining why everything <laughs> works the way it does. Nerd. Makes us all look like fools. <laughs> I, I can't help it. I'm sorry. No, no, not, <laughs> not the making, not the making like, you look like fools part. But oh man, I love it. All right, go ahead and finish up your uh, your explanation. Yeah. So <laughs> wrap it up, Mark. Um, <laughs> the music's playing in the dance, background. Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah, play me off. Um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, it it's, all right. Yeah, we, we live in this so much, we analyze, we break things down, but that's part of why we love Star Wars. It's part of our enjoyment. And I don't know that I could ever switch off that, that's, that part of my brain. In order, to, Sometimes I wish I could. Um, but so far, it's worked for me because I, I've never walked out of a Star Wars film saying, I hated that movie. Um, I know some people feel differently. But that's just, uh, I walk out and I'm, it's not that I'm blindly loving it or embracing it, but because it's Star Wars, I come to it uh, with already a built-in investment in it and a familiarity with it that to me gets me over some of the stuff that doesn't work as well. Um, so I don't know, that's just, that's my outlook. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's definitely a good perspective on kind of how we go into these movies as fans so we have 18 months to digest this movie until episode 9 comes out oh and no. then <laughs> we're just all trying to make it to it's resistance a long guys. way from here we're just trying to make it to resistance do we know it, when that is that next year it's fall fall of this year fall of this year yeah so oh, it's, yeah. A, it's really Man. soon I, am, I mean, Thrawn Alliances comes out in July, and I'm a huge Thrawn fangirl, yeah. so I'll be all over that. But. That one's going to be good. Yeah. That one's going to be good. There's a lot to look forward to. And then in 2020, we're going to get Han Solo 2, the duo, and we'll all love it again. Oh, no. <laughs> Where's my Lando Calrissian solo movie? That's um, that's what I'd be for. Would you? Okay, so. Wait, like, really? We, we do have to wrap <laughs> no, up. I'm, you no. Okay. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can't be really nervous. Sorry, I wasn't being sarcastic enough. <laughs> no, it was it like needs it was to drip a little bit more. Enough, it could have gone either way. <laughs> you have this so. weird thing for Vision and and Scarlet Witch, and so now I was like, okay, I guess you could be serious <laughs> about this Lando and uh, Solo movie. Like, we just hey, got hey, the Vision is amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. So before before Drew and Ash go throwing down on this, we're gonna wrap Whatever. up this episode. Me and Mark are the ones who are gonna fight. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I just got here and I'm feeling so attacked right now. Welcome to the team. Yeah, you're part of the family now. We Ash. got jackets made up. <laughs> All right. Sabers so, have clashed. Yes, they have. I see what you did there. You uh, anyways, I'm gonna actually try to wrap the show up, guys. Is that all right? We can. Call it. Oh, We're oh, going to call oh. it. Yes, Dad. Okay. Thank you. Uh, 
no, I, we, we appreciate you listening. We want to hear your opinions on uh, on Solo, whether you liked it or didn't like it, and, and what worked for you and what didn't. You can always find us at Clashing Sabers. Uh, email us, ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. Uh, we would love it if you would drop a review for us over on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps people see us and helps build our community. We've got some of you who I know are listening all the time. I'm interacting with on Twitter, and it is just a blast. And, and the whole design of Clashing Sabers is being about just fan interaction and getting these different opinions, which is why it was so much fun to finally have all of us on this episode. Uh, Ash, you want to go ahead and give your plugs for your other podcasts and, and whatnot? Yeah, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at AirSatsAsh. Uh, you can find my show Starships on this very network, which is a show that talks all about uh, romantic relationships in the Star Wars universe. And, and I'm it's also great. Thank you. I'm also on the Skyhoppers podcast, which is kind of an anything and everything Star Wars show. Um, and that's at SW Skyhoppers on Twitter or just the Skyhoppers podcast on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Cool, cool, cool. Mark, you're up. Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at DJ Mark M Marquis. That's DJ M M A R Q U I S. And I have a podcast on this network as well, and it's called Forever Star Wars. And uh, it's a it's an ongoing series where I take something about the Star Wars films that I love and I expand upon it. Um, uh, so it's pretty much just a love fest. It's fantastic. And then Drew. You still with us? Yep. I'm at the Drew Brett, D-R-E-W-B-R-E-T-T. And I try to write for the site at clashingsabers.net. Dot net, net. Dot net. Yeah, there you go. Sure. Um, I may have to rewrite the last thing I had outlined because um, I didn't get it out in time before the solo movie. But um, that's kind of where I'm going to try and focus is getting you guys something to read every some, every so often. Uh, and, of course, Drew and I have the Clash and Sabers podcast, the, the flagship show on here. And one last uh, little cheap plug. We have an Instagram now, so you can go follow us at Instagram, uh, at Clashing Sabers. So until next time, remember, Rio lives. Batch 8! Hi-ho! Here we go again. I bypassed the compressor. You and the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. 